Hi, and welcome to the Tomato Timer, a podcast about learning to learn. I'm Zubair from Xenos, and I'm tuning in live with experts from around the world, asking your questions and hearing their stories, all before the timer goes off. 24 minutes and 39 seconds to go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 31 of the Tomato Timer, and today I'm joined by a fellow UCL friend. Um, Aliza studies population health at UCL. She's just finished. How did we finish our degrees? It's crazy. Um, Aliza <laughs> is um, the founder and executive chair of the Climate Action Society. And she was part of the, this was the first society that actually went to lobby with the UK Parliament as well. And she has won the Student Award for Sustainability and commitment to that um, for three years straight. And it's so, so cool to have you. Thank you so much for joining us, Aliza. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having How me. How are you? Uh, I'm good either, just uh, trying to make the most out of the transition out of lockdown. Yeah. How about yourself? Yeah, same. Um, and it's crazy. Like, I was going to say, you know, we're at UCL together and we just, I just realized we're like UCL, like we finished with our uni. I, I, I got my email the other day about like the alumni service. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Years <laughs> it's really coming to an end. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. Um, it just it doesn't feel like it. And I feel like I might get an email saying that, oh, you have an exam left over. I'm like, gosh. Probably. Are you missing exam? I think that's important. Yeah. yeah. So, Elisa, um, how did it all start? Because you've been the kind of like into this climate action stuff for the almost your whole university life. But where did the passion for sustainability kind of spark for you? Um, sure. So I think um, there is no one step answer to that. It was in one specific event. Um, I think if I had to summarize how. I got into sustainability and got involved with all the initiatives that I am involved with currently. I think number one, it was um, my experience during a charity relief drive back in 2015. Um, I was in Karachi and Karachi experienced um, the deadliest heat wave Pakistan had seen in over 50 years. And I learned how it was mostly due to climate change, um, the effects of climate change causing severe implications um, for the local population from a shortage of water to the health effects to systemic poverty. Um, so, you know, that, that made me feel like I need to do something about this problem um, or like more so push me to educate about the causes and the consequences of this issue. Uh, then number two, having moved around a lot, um, the exposure gave me an insight into the potential in youth, in people of color, in women, uh, in how everyone offers an important fresh perspective yeah. and that you can't solve a problem alone by excluding especially very people who experience the reality. The climate crisis, for example, is a crisis of capitalist system which not only oppresses women globally, but it places the burden to fix the crisis predominantly on women through its emphasis on consumer action. It is also disproportionately women of color who are the victims, yet their voices excluded the most uh, from discourse around climate change. So number three, it was, I think, a personal realization of my privilege um, to be able to educate myself regarding the background of the problems around me, studying and analyzing case studies, being able to think of solutions, being able to discuss with my peers and my teachers, um, having access to libraries and the internet, um, and, and I felt that I had the privilege and, you know, together with my hard work, it's brought me to a platform where I could do something about the problem I was observing. And in this case, it was climate change. Yeah. Um, and so my university UCL allowed me to affiliate CAST, the Climate Action Society, with the Students' Union. And ultimately, I guess it was 
a combination of factors around me and my influences that led me to get involved with sustainability. Amazing. And I feel like one of those kind of like the key points that I, I heard from you is, is the fact that kind of there's, there's, there's so much potential with, with everyone, right? We have different perspectives. We have different abilities to see the world and find solutions. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we, we push too hard to kind of keep it kind of like within certain I guess strands we we want to like yeah. classify yeah. stuff too deeply Agreed. and and again oppression is such a challenge that we can't we don't even hear the voices which matter the most yeah um yeah. so you've you've come come up with this kind of a you have this passion building in um and you just mentioned the students union how how does it form how does like kind of how do you form societies at university and uh, like how did you then go about like you know the the, the part about society is having a lot of people associated yeah you have to yeah. empower them make them feel excited about it how did that kind of all come together mm-hmm. um so i think a, a lot of it has to do with you know every time someone asks me this question i think about the problems i entailed rather than just my motivation and in terms of setting up and planning cast the problem was not setting our objectives it we knew what we stood for, we knew what our mission was, mm-hmm. we had the UN Sustainable Dublin Goal 13 in mind to tackle climate change urgently uh, through a mon- non-monochrome approach. But the difficult bit was running it. So the first problem that I faced was the perception of climate change. Um, you know, it was viewed as a frenzy for people, um, it's for people who are obsessed with the environment, it's just for geography students, it's just for white people, it's a boring topic, it's not good for your resume. Um, it's just for developed countries um, and to tackle these perceptions was a huge challenge because how do you cater to a systematic way that people think um, and so we when I set up CAS um, you know the, the direct process was um, you go to the students union you fill out a form um, and it's basically the pitch or the proposal that you submit to the union about what your society is going to stand for and what you're going to do and what the union would like to see is a potential um, in being able to deliver the goals that you do have. Um, now at UCL, we have, what, over 180 different societies, um, from yeah, chocolate to much. chess to beekeeping. Um, <laughs> and when I was forming a climate action society, I knew it's not um, for social purposes. It has an altruistic cause um, that will need very passionate people, very hardworking people to implement change um and so when i formed the proposal um unlike unlike the standard procedure where you you know you, where you give four ideas of the kind of events you're going to host i submitted an eight page long proposal about um the objectives the beliefs that we had and how we're actually going to translate our ideas into action and yeah. i you know i did everything i specifically named people i specifically named my events i pre-planned way ahead and i think that kind of gave me a clear trajectory to work with and obviously you know we changed um a lot along with time depending on how my team um was recruited what ideas we had and how topics out with time but i think having that level of detail um rendered me a response from the students union right away within that week usually the students union takes about a month or two to get back to you um and then what i did was i took it to the next level by sending a proposal to the provost at ucl and told him you know i don't want cash to just be student society ucl needs to dive us from fossil fuels ucl has this 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 gap we could do this 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 um stuff in terms of your sustainability unit in terms of your carbon emissions um and you know what we're here 
here to help you. We're not against you. We're members of the same team. We can diplomatically sit on a table. We can discuss ways that students could get involved in your sustainability policy and basically get the momentum going forward. Um, and that, you know, that, that brought me on to my second problem. Once I did get acceptance and affiliation with the Students' Union and the Utility Board of Directors, the second yeah. issue was no funding. As a new society, uh, the Students' Union doesn't give you any funding. And so I had to set up a sponsorship division and we approached so many companies. Um, and of course, if, you're, if your goal is climate action, there's only a limited number of companies that you could approach that you know work 100% sustainably or 100% mm. ethical um, but in the process we try to use the term advantage by approach, approaching controversial companies um, and corporates whether it's Bank of England or BP and we said okay you know we didn't just take wow. their money and we said <laughs> we made it more of a mutual agreement whereby we helped them achieve climate oriented goals uh, we didn't get much success with BP it was quite hard to push them but Bank of England you know made it more of a mutual agreement and we introduced sustainability workshops or, um, and helping them cutting down carbon use. We help the digital presence in the sustainability arena in exchange of the sponsorship package they were giving us. And in this way, you know, not, not only was our goal sustainability, but we were operating in a very sustainable way. And then the third problem was non-inclusiveness. Historically and predominantly, climate change has been led by old white men. Um, and, you know, to kind of step in, in that arena as a foreigner, mm -hmm. as a student um, with no qualifications, uh, zero knowledge of climate science. Um, everyone, you know, did question my presence and CAS's presence and about the potential we had. Uh, but I set up the diversity division at CAS. Um, and so I was branching out the different segments of CAS as we, you know, face different problems or we realize different ideas. Um, and that helped me kind of target our audiences for different events. Um, we had BME-focused events um, for the ethnic minorities, for people of color. We had over 150 course representatives to penetrate the 42,000 student body at UCL. And even this isn't enough. We still need to recruit more. We need um, to ensure that we are penetrating the PhD student cohort, the master's cohort, the undergrad cohort, across all departments as well. And you know, yeah. I think one of our successes, as well as our problems, was trying to curtail non-inclusiveness and then getting those course representatives out there. Um, and at one point, you know, we had a group chat with like 200 members and we needed that because we wanted to get our message across uh, and we managed yeah. that. I think that's what helped CAS build a presence uh, on campus like no other society. One of the things that struck me was that you went and picked up the phone or, or sent an email to the provost. Yeah. Like you, how, how do you get that? Like that's an initiative that like you know many not and forget about students or undergraduates or postgraduates yeah. i feel like professors and and like faculty leaders will be freaked out to like <laughs> do something like that how 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 does that happen and uh, where did that kind of kind of the, the energy and the, the the motivation to just like you know what if this is what's going to happen then i have to do it at every level yeah how did that and i i, I it's it's obvious that you're by pushing for that so strongly, you were able to then make your voice heard, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, um, definitely. Like, I think, you know, one question was, am I going to get a response? Is something going to happen? Um, to what extent could I fight against the bureaucracy and, you know, the, the levels, the hierarchy that exist to get my message across? Um, and 
the the good thing I think I was lucky in the sense that I had been really on on good terms with my department, with all the professors I knew, um, and I was doing a couple of research projects, a lot of volunteering projects um, mm-hmm. with different professors across the department. Um, so I kind of had that network or that word of mouth um, to which I do I, I didn't know some members in the provost office I um, you know I was dealing with a wise process of education regarding some of the modules that I wanted to introduce or the research yeah. that I was doing I was interviewing people and that kind of gave me an idea of how UCL works and how the provost would like to speak to someone fossil free UCL for example has been on campus for over seven years and you know it's um some people comment on it as a very passive aggressive approach and ucl still did not divest and i realized maybe it is time to sit diplomatically on a table and granted you know a lot of the time chancellors and people of power and influence get away with all talk uh with no real change and it's a lot of greenwashing um Mm -hmm. but i think in my proposal and my email when i summarized you know, at first I made sure I made sure the email was quite brief and he could read it. Um, and I summarized, you know, the the problem that it's it's a problem for UCL and that you're going to get a lot of backlash by the news, by the media, by your students if you don't begin to make that change happen. And mm-hmm. I am not your enemy. We're here to help you um, attain those goals in a very um, non-monochrome manner. It doesn't need to be just your your faculty or your accounting team or your sustainability unit doing this. This is a problem that deals with carbon emissions, with urban redevelopment, with the health effects of climate change. Um, so really, you had to get all departments of UCL involved. And I think when he saw that, okay, this is an organization or a student society that I could work with and get some dialogue across and is on the same team and won't um, probably threat me or like lock me in my room, which which has happened in like climate change protests <laughs> yeah. at UCL. Um, you know, I got a I got on a table with him, and I guess he could see that there is potential to work with. And it's it's all about empowering everyone in the process. I know that obviously, like someone like a provost might have the the greatest power to, or seems like, or you know, the people at the top. But you went and you you said that not only do we need yes of course we need some leadership mm-hmm. we need this we need that but we also need everyone's mm-hmm. voices heard and and that leads me to the next question which was about um because I, I in your bio you, you talk about being one of the first societies that were then invited yeah. to the parliament the uk parliament to lobby for climate change and then declare mm-hmm. climate emergency the first country to do so for the first parliament to do so um how did that feel and what is that would you call that the defining moment for the the society or was there anything else that you that is most memorable um, for you i think we've had lots of defining moments and um i always tell people you know mm. like if, if you quantify our success we had 7200 members in six months um across the uk we had representatives in three out of the four countries in the UK. Um, we were working with um, six London-based unis to re- revitalize their sustainability strategy. Um, but these numbers didn't really hit home in this kind of success that we had until we read the feedback forms that we got. And these feedback forms, and the, or maybe the, the letters of recognition that I received, whether it was from the UK Parliament or from the House of Lords, they spoke about how CAS was a space um, for a movement um, that centers the voices and experiences of people of color and women. It ensures that our movements and our campaigns are centered around the notions of 
racial justice, of gender justice, um, that we must ally ourselves with campaigns fighting patriarchy, um, colonialism, racism, and economic injustice. So we must use the climate crisis as an opportunity to radically restructure society um, mm -hmm. to one that is geared towards liberation. And we cannot do this without tapping into human capital, be it the female population, be it the ethnic groups, be it students, whoever it is, they, they possess an important perspective. They possess important knowledge and deserve as much opportunity as anyone else. So when I read this um, in the feedback forms that we received um, and we saw our numbers increasing and when the parliament said, OK, you know, we are we have taken the decision to declare climate emergency um, as a result of your work in the diversity and inclusion arena as well. And, you know, that that was for us, I think, probably one of the first milestones that we reached. Um, and yes, it is one of the many defining moments, but it didn't feel real until we saw feedback forms from people. Yeah. And so you've, with the society, I think you've done a whole bunch of stuff. You had a lot of members. You were always empowering the voices, especially of those which didn't have the power or or, or don't generally in, in the kind of the, the social context give be given the kind of the authority or the or the, the platform to speak at um and you've done a whole bunch of stuff but you you there were like quite a few events that you would put on during mm -hmm. the, the year and there were things like workshops um i know the big big thing kind of the the main event for you guys would be the symposium yeah. but there's also around there was a sustainability fashion show and uh, like uh, that that there's a whole kind of uh, new it's not new, but it's coming up. It's yeah. getting a bit old. But this sustainable fashion. What what is that about? And how are, how does Climate Action Society and you personally kind of look at it and think about it? Sure. Um. So I think uh, the sustainable fashion show was very different from the other events that we were hosting. And the other events that we did host were very educational based. They were hands on mm -hmm. workshops. Um. And one of the things that I want to ensure in my approach at CAS was making it accessible and attractive to Generation Z. Um, you know, Generation Z is quite busy filling in <laughs> hundreds of internship applications and job applications. Uh, we've got so much going on for us. Um, how do I attract my generation to a topic that is otherwise perceived as a far-reaching global goal um, just for geography students and something that they can't do much about? So I wanted to make... Um, has fun. I wanted to make it a very social event. I wanted to make it look cool. Um, and the Sustainable Fashion Show was one way of doing that. Uh, we collaborated with the Fashion Society at UCL. And the idea behind this was trying to shift mindsets for sustainable consumption. In a consumer society, it is important to challenge traditional narratives to spark shifts in thinking. And as it stands, you know, humans are consuming more than twice the resources the earth can sustain. So there is no question of our need to change our practices. The question begged yeah. is how? So every member of our audience is a consumer and you know, thus he or she should be aware of their power and consider how their choices accumulate to have real impact. It is questionable whether or not we can justify blaming consumers as individuals for the planet's perils, but there's certainly a need to shift mindsets. Um, and so the question behind this sustainable fashion show, this fun activity um, that had never been done at UCL before was how can we encourage industries such as food and clothing and tech to facilitate this transition? 
and by having the sustainable fashion show run entirely by students um, showcasing student designers um, 100% ethical and sustainable material environmental friendly material was one of a kind incentive and you know was followed by an after party which was quite fun people love that <laughs> and we actually had the greatest turnover in our audience memberships um, following that event about a 40% turnover and I realized if you make something fun and accessible and attractive to all, they will come and hear you out. Um, and we got the chance to do this uh, sustainable fashion show, uh, which was easily one of the most successful and one of the most fun, fun events we've had. Accessible and available, like it, it makes so much sense to, to find the things that we are most excited about. And we have the opportunity to change, right? So um, we can talk about um, lobbying for parliament and we can talk about new policies being enacted or how the whole borough you know where we live can change their the way of uh how they're dealing with carbon emissions but at the end of the day we have so much power and to realize the fact that the way we go out and shop and where we shop and yeah. what we wear is 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 crazy because you know when we when we talk about and exactly what you said it's 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 too far reaching for us to kind of consider it so many yeah. times. Like we think that climate action and, and the climate emergency is for, is for governments and, and old white people to kind of talk yeah. about and, and kind of desi decide what, how it's going to be fixed. But once you make it available to us, once you make it um, that we have the power to make those changes, it's incredible. And I can definitely see why you had a huge turnover on those events. Yeah, no, it was it was a very um, thrilling journey to say the least. <laughs> and so I want to kind of like, obviously, the Climate Action Society has been a huge part of your life and and your university uh, past three years of it. Mm -hmm. um, but why did you end up going into? Because you you chose to study population health, and that's not a very mm -hmm. common degree, I, I would say. Where where did that stem from? Um, yeah, it's it's very random. A lot of people, uh, when they meet me, they expect me to be studying climate change or geography, but I'm not. And the truth is, I started off with um, not exactly a passion for climate change, but it was a passion for doing something in in life about the problems that were that my society or or the environment that I was in um, tackled. Yeah. Um, and so I think in my far-reaching goal of pushing for positive social impact. Uh, population health was um, a very rare choice. I initially got into UCL for medicine, but I ended up switching to population health, oh. much to my dad's horror. Um, but I think it was the best decision <laughs> I've ever made because I, firstly, I don't have the patience to like sit through six years of medical school, um, take all my exams and become a doctor because I didn't see myself practicing as a doctor. I saw myself as someone um, who was tackling diverse problems, um, meeting a lot of people, um, having a very hands-on approach um, in management or in policy. And so my degree published in health um, it was a brand new course and it was the first time it was being offered at an undergraduate level when I enrolled in 2017. Mm -hmm. um, and it basically helped me comprehend the many attributes um, of public health, the social and physical environment, the way you live, the healthcare systems and our genes. And I realized it is it is very much medicine, except that it's administrative. So I do modules on coding, on data science, on molecular biology, on the social determinants of health, infectious disease. So it's one of the most diverse degrees at UCL. And it's very intimate with just 12 people. 
and that meant wow. a lot of contact hours uh, and one-on-one -on -one interaction yeah. with my professors and my faculty members i could be associated with every department in ucl i could get involved in in any kind of dissertation project that I wanted, whether it was heavily quantitative or qualitative, whether I wanted to go into my labs, whether I wanted to work with someone at WHO or at the Public Health of England. Um, and when I saw the potential that this course had and the first time it was being offered at undergrad level, I thought, you know, this is probably my best chance at utilizing my exposure, combining it with my interests um, and learning the things that I do love. Um, and so when I enrolled this program, initially I was a bit skeptical of how it would be, um, of what kind of job I could get because I mean no one had graduated yet. Yeah, you're a little, you're a little bit of a guinea pig, right? That yeah. Was the first time it was ever happening, and you're twelve other, eleven other people just that. Exactly. It. So it was um, quite daunting, you know. So like, okay, what are the real world practicalities of this course? Um, mm -hmm. And to be honest, they're endless. I could go into absolutely any field that I want to. Um, and I guess it was the idea of, again, moving around and having observed a lot of different disparities in health uh, between different income groups, the middle income group, the high in income group, the low income group, um, and how the health outcomes differed. And the reason the health outcomes differed, again, were due to a variety of reasons. It could be from inheritance to your social and physical environment. And that was gauged in my degree. And so... Population health, climate action, um, and now you're involved with kind of environmental consulting with the startup sphere as well. You're quite involved in, and know how that all happens as well. Um, it must be like incredible to like go back and ask you when you were like 15 or 16 year old when you were thinking about all this stuff <laughs> that would it end up like this. Um, but I, I want to like this moment now that you're at with all the experience that you had. Um, what would you say were the things that got you here? Um, mm -hmm. And what are the, uh, I, I don't want to use that same question again of defining moments, but what were those kind of like, you know, those milestones, those those things that like shape who you are at this moment right now? Yeah. Um, so again, there's no hard and fast answer to this, but I think my direct answer is like 90% of it is my parents who I'm so grateful for. Uh, they have an incredible examples themselves in their own arenas. Um, and my mom's a doctor, my dad's an architect, and they have gone beyond their profession in in serving society and the environment. And have, and they have uh, been my moral support system since um, the very beginning. And they have been um, there in a sense that, you know, they've, they've pushed me to take up challenges, to think in a way that makes me realize my privilege, that makes me realize that I could still be a better person. Um, they've put me into the best education institutions. They send me um, to to the, to the best institution in this country, I would say, in terms of population health. Um, and I get to do whatever I want to do because they realize that, okay, I have different interests um, and I would like to experiment and explore them. And that again, you know, links back to my journey as well. I've interned at every kind of entity you could think of, whether it's a corporate or whether it's an NGO um, or whether yeah. it's a WHO. Um, and it's and the reason for that is not because oh I want to get everything on my resume. It's more so because I didn't know who I was. I still don't know who I am, and I'm trying to figure that out by knocking on doors. Um, so I think if if I was speaking to 15 year old Aliza, I would tell her, you know, like 
it will be okay. It's a journey that everyone figures out. As long as you knock on the doors that are around you, as long as you push yourself um, out of your comfort zone, you know, as cliche as that sounds, uh, with a moral support system um, that will be by your side. Because I think without that backing, um, whether it's from your friends or from your family or from your partner, um, you do struggle to have that work and social life balance or that work and personal life balance. And if and if there's a problem in that, then you, you struggle to come to work or about with the same energy and drive as you could. Um, so I think my, my parents easily are, are the number one reason. But at the same time, again, it's my privilege. It's the education institutions. It's my incredible teachers. Um, and it's the different experiences that I've gone through whether it's, in, whether it's internships or volunteering amazing and uh, it's so incredible to hear your humility after everything <laughs> that you've achieved um to then give it back to the people who who really do matter and, yeah and you're absolutely right our parents are our our champions you know yeah. they, they are doing everything for us um and that is also the moment it's hit the timer um and so it's been so good to have you um i love to end with that thank you so much for joining us thank Anita. you so much for having me it was a pleasure take care of it yeah thank you bye, bye. and that's another episode of the tomato timer if you'd like to ask your questions and join us live next week join the xenos discord server the invite link is in the description and to learn more about xenos and how a bunch of students are on a mission of making quality education accessible to all go to xenos.org Bye for now.